what Columbia looks like. This is what Columbia looks like. The best place for Columbia College news. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. Covering the stories Chicagoans care about. They're calling for one Chicago. Shut down, they shut down. This is Chronicle Headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Chronicle Headlines. Uh, somewhat similar to a few weeks ago, Chronicle Headlines rolled out its Thanksgiving-themed podcast, and every segment was about the holiday. But uh, this week, our print edition was feeling a little bit of the holiday spirit and has a decent amount of holiday-themed stories. Today on the podcast, we're going to have Catmas in it, so that's that's about what you got there. But we're also going to be talking about a fundraiser for menstrual products, and we're going to be looking at a photo feature on Settlers Day. We will get to those stories later in the podcast, but first... Full-time student tuition will increase from $26,090 to $26,610, about a $500 increase for the 2019-2020 academic year. On-campus housing prices will also increase by 3.5%. Registration, student health, technology, and student instructional fees will not change. The Student Government Association and Student Affairs Office will decide the student activity fee in the spring. This marks the eighth consecutive year tuition has increased at Columbia. But the increase is in response to inflation and financial changes, said President and CEO Kwang Woo Kim in a November 27th email to students. Kim also said tuition could have increased more, but the trustees decided to limit the increase to 2%, as they did last year. Our next story is about students at Columbia helping create the window design at the Macy's store at 111 North State Street. The class is called Visual Merchandising, Macy 1 at Macy's, and it allowed students to work alongside Macy's to create the design. Sophomore fashion merchandising major Louise Ebling heard about the class her freshman year. It's really great. It's like different from what I expected. I expected it to be more like a, oh, like just help us with like putting up windows, but it's much more than that. It's like a very hands-on course. Ebling said the windows were put up December 4th. Our third story on today's episode is about Shop Columbia's holiday market. This will be the 10th annual market for Shop Columbia, and it will feature approximately 120 artists selling holiday-specific items such as clothing, music, fine art, holiday cards, and jewelry, according to Tracy Drobot Brower, Shop Columbia's operations coordinator. She said the market will be in a nicer venue this year as compared to years past. Um, and in previous years, we kind of had pop-ups around because we didn't have the space. Mm-hmm. But now that we're in this beautiful gallery space, um, last year was the first year that we had it in here, and it went really well. So this year, we're going to be kind of we just transformed the entire shop, um, almost like a market setting. Drobot Brower said each day will have a little something different. So every day that we are open, um, we'll be having. Um, either a featured artist or some sort of promotion for the day. Um, whether that's come on in and grab a hot, like, like a cup of hot cocoa, um, we're going to have like a holiday moving day. Artists will receive 75% of the proceeds from their sale, and the market will run until December 20th. Our next story is the unconventional mix of period cramps and half-goat, half-demon mythological creatures called Krampus. This year marks the second annual Krampus Holiday Market that helps raise funds for the donation of menstrual products for those in need. 
talk a little bit more about it, I have Catherine Savage in the studio. So, Krampus. I, I, I've never heard of this event. It's the second annual one. And it's Krampus with a C, not a K. How did you come across this, first of all? Because this is a... I like the name. Very topical. And it's quite the interesting event. Yeah, so I first heard about it. Uh, someone else in the newsroom actually suggested it because it's been going around on Facebook. It's been circulating about the event. Um, it's hosted by the Emporium in Logan Square. Okay. And then it helps um, give mon- or give menstrual products to those in need, but how exactly does it do that? Is it some sort of fundraising? Does it physically just give them these products? Like a what did you figure out? Yeah, so to get in, um, for one, you have to be 21 and over because it's at a bar. And then you, instead of paying admission, you donate uh, a period product, like pads or tampons or something like that. So then all of that goes to the Chicago period pro- uh, project. Oh, so, th- so there are no tickets, there's no cover, there's no nothing. You yeah, don't pay nothing. anything to get in, but there are things inside you can buy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so the the holiday market will take place from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at Emporium Logan Square, which is at 2363 North Milwaukee Avenue. And the Krampus Holiday Market will have 25 female vendors, and I don't know exactly how to say this name, so I'm going to need your help. It's like kind of French. I think you got it from that little bit I just said. Yeah, um, Teresa Bouvet Boyce-Claire. Ah. Yes. Okay. Well, uh, you did speak with her, and what's her title with uh, with this group, how she associated with them? Yeah, so she uh, is the owner slash creator of this pottery uh, company, and she hand makes all of the pottery and hand paints it herself. Uh, We had her talking a little bit about what makes this event so special. Uh, This event also pulls from uh, Crafts Women in Chicago. It's an all-women vendor event. Uh, uh, this type of event is is um, kind of touching on some some aspects of society that are sometimes overlooked. So, Catherine, we just heard her speak a little bit, and you said that she makes pottery or, or something that affect. You talked to a couple other vendors. What are the things that people can buy at this event? Yeah, so there's going to be all types of stuff. Uh, it's all handmade. There's going to be different types of jewelry, clothing. There's people who are doing, like, the pins and stuff like that. Yeah, but one of the people you talked to worked with fossils. Do I have that correct? I'm, I'm going to need a little more information about that. What First off, what type of fossils? Are they like dinosaur bones or something? What, what does she do? Yeah, so for the fossils, um, it's part of the Powers Handcrafted Jewelry. So she makes her jewelry around these fossils and comes up with a design when she finds the fossils. So I know she said she does one, uh, I think, with a shark fossil, a shark tooth, she said. And then there's just a bunch of other ones that she finds. And that was uh, Miranda Powers? or is Yes. Okay, yeah, Miranda Powers, and that's the owner of Powers Handcrafted Jewelry. And luckily, you were able to ask her where some of her inspiration comes, so we can take a listen to that. Now I'm making necklaces with um, fossil megalodon shark teeth. A lot of my inspiration comes from like science and nature. A lot of pieces I use include uh, genuine fossils, so a lot of times I'll start with like a cool fossil or stone and, and try to come up with a design around that. Again, that was Miranda Powers, but you've actually seen some of the jewelry and the pottery and the this, that, and the other. How does it look? Is it themed holiday style, or is it just kind of a general, like, this is the art I make, you can buy it? Yeah, 
so it's not really holiday themed. It's just kind of their art. Um, I saw a lot of the pottery. I was looking through it. She, um, Bouvet Boys Coeur does a lot of mugs and vases and she hand paints them and she has one where the handle of the mug is actually a dinosaur tail. So then she hand paints it into this kind of like garden scene. And she also has another one that was really cool that was this puffer fish. So it was shaped as the puffer fish and it had like a bunch of little fins on it. Super cute. That's some fancy stuff. Those are mugs? Yes, they're mugs. Oh my gosh. I'd feel bad to break that. You know what I'm saying? I always get nervous holding a mug in general, but... I'm too clumsy for that. <laughs> but if it's a puffer fish, it's more round, isn't it? Is the mug itself kind of round, or does it just look like a puffer fish but is cylindrical in nature? The whole thing is round like a puffer fish, so it's like the exact shape of it. It's so cool. Oh my gosh. That might be harder to spill, though. That could be a benefit, because if you like kind of knock it over, it could bounce back. Does it have like the little spikes on it? It does. And I know that the mugs are all like dishwasher safe and microwave safe, so that's plus too. Oh, I, I would hope so. Yeah. I don't have a dishwasher because I have a little bitty apartment, <laughs> but I never check those things. I just throw them in there. So I'm glad that this market will not harm anyone yes. if things are washed in the dishwasher. Uh, did you just see the mugs? Was that your favorite thing? Did you? It sounds like the mugs are very nice, but did you see any like the fossil work that Miranda Powers did? or? I did see some of the fossil work. I saw one that was a necklace that was really cool. It almost weirdly looked like a flower as the necklace um i also saw there was one who did different types of pins those were really cool and bright super bright colors talking yellows and oranges pins are always good yeah they were really cool you can always get a good pin but do you know what some of these things are going for in terms of prices or is it is kind of a general mix depending what you get because i think they even sell like hand painted work like a bigger thing right yeah um, so I know with some of the pottery products, I think she said like the hand painted stuff goes from like 70 to $85, I believe. Yeah. Right around there. Yeah. And then some of her mugs were like $30 and some of the jewelry, I think she said ranges. I, I would assume the jewelry ranges. Yeah. But when they say $36 mugs, how big are they? Are they like, is it a regular sized mug or am I getting a little tiny thing that I got from the Chris Kindle market? No, it's like your average mug. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, that's that's not half bad. I, I can get down with yeah. that. Uh, so we got uh, we got some of the things, the prices, this, that, and the other. You spoke to a couple people um, who are at the the market. Is there anything else they're saying that uh, we missed here? Um, I don't think so. Uh, just again that it's all women led, and all the vendors are women. So. That's yeah, really I cool. I think it has about 25 women vendors, and that takes place December 20th? 18th. December, yeah, December 18th from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m. at Emporium Logan Square, 2363 North Milwaukee Avenue. And you need some sort of period product to get in. But none of the actual money that is, like, from things sold goes back to like the fundraising event that goes right to the artists right correct yeah oh, so it's like kind of your support your local artist type thing yeah an all-encompassing event well Catherine, it looks like we're out of time thank you for coming in today thank you now we head over to the movies for a catmas event but 
my my intro was kind of boring and bland, so I'm going to welcome in Molly Walsh to the studio, who is going to try and describe this event as interestingly and alliteration with puns as possible she can. For those of you who don't know what it is, on December 14th, there'll be a screening of the Nine Lives of Christmas with cats. And I think I'm going to let Molly, you can take it away from here. Well... I've been hearing from events at the Harmony House, or from people at the Harmony House, that Meow V Night at the Harmony House is two paws up, the perfect way to spend a Friday night, and perfect for feline film fanatics everywhere, specifically if those felines need to find their forever home. Hmm. Yeah, good. <laughs> I, also have, I also have Mike Rundell in the studio. He'll be coming on in about uh, eight or minutes or so. Mike, what do we? How do we feel about that? I don't know. I think I'm a fan. Yeah, no, a fan. Yeah, there's more f words here. But, um, <laughs> Whoa. But, uh, <laughs> Not so, too many though. So again, the event on December fourteenth. Doors open at six thirty, and the film will start at seven. Tickets are $20 at the door, but if you head in, or no, if you order ahead of time, they are $15. Mm-hmm. And then Pat Vesper is a board member and volunteer at Harmony House, which is the group that is hosting the event. Uh, we serve popcorn and refreshments. And the big, biggest bonus is that we had a few of our cats roaming around during the movie, jumping <laughs> on people's laps, and that was the highlight of the movie night, I believe. It's <laughs> <laughs> so cute. <laughs> So again, that was Pat Vesper, but we're going to talk a little bit more about this cat and cinema combination. So Molly, you, you mentioned it a bit off the top. So Catmas, it's kind of like an adoption event, but with a movie. Is that yeah, a general so, summary of it? So the event is actually called Meowvy Night, and this is the second event that Harmony House is hosting that includes a feature film and a... Uh, opportunity to bond with the animals at the shelter and so something that I think is really special about Harmony House is that it is the second largest no-kill animal shelter in the city and it is um, they only house cats so that's why that they're able to have this event that has uh, that allows the animals to roam free with uh, those in, t- in attendance and watch a movie. And there's some refreshments, according to uh, some of the people I spoke to in my story. And uh, the hopes for this event is to not only raise funds, but also to see if there's a resurgence of adoptions afterwards. Okay, so it's not just like a cat lover's ideal movie night. They're trying to get the cats adopted, and the money at the door goes to help the um, the Harmony House. But how many cats... Will there be during the movie night? What's the number we're at here? Well, it's actually really interesting that you bring that up because they change it throughout the movie. Um, Their first event was in September, and they said towards the beginning of the movie was when they had some of their kittens out and about and roaming free. But then as the movie kind of continues on, they, like, take them out, and they'll put some of the animals back in where they reside in, um, you know, some of Mm -hmm. their free-range areas. And then they'll take out other cats so that they also get an opportunity to uh, roam around and, you know, play and be pet with, be pet by some of the guests that are there. And this is a cageless shelter, is that right? Yes. So what that means is that it is like an open population shelter. So it's, there's no cages point blank, but it's um, kind of a more comfortable environment for the animals. So, okay. So they're all just moving around then, but why is this adoption event specifically so important for the shelter? If it's cageless, like how many animals can a cageless shelter hold? 
So I believe it's a limited access shelter, which means that um, they're only able to hold a certain amount of animals. So uh, I, I don't know the specific amount of you know stray animals, specifically cats that are in the city, but uh, one of um, my sources told me in the story, I don't remember if it was Pat or Marla, but for every 30 phone calls the shelter receives, they're actually only able to take in one cat. So that means that if there's... Um, almost if there's 90 phone calls, only three cats are only going to be accepted in. So, again, trying to spur adoption rates yeah. and, and all that stuff, uh, kind of important for people who can't take in this many cats. Yeah, and it's also, um, you know, it's not even just with stray cats. They also uh, touch upon cats that, you know, if there's a like a less, um, less like wealthy family or an. Uh, you know, if someone's going to a nursing home or is going to be in a hospital for a long time and they can't take care of their cats, the shelter takes those animals in as well. And so it's really, uh, I think it's heartwarming and really special as myself as an animal lover to see that a shelter is able to take in um, these animals and provide medical care. Uh, an event like this is super important because, you know, $15 is like a good, you get a good night of fun, but it's also going to a good cause. Yeah, and I think one of your sources said that, you know, as college students, you really have that much access to animals. Like, you're in a dorm or a studio, or even if you have like a two or three bedroom apartment, like, I can't pay for all this. So it's a good way to go in and see cats and, and pet them and all that, that good stuff. Oh, like, yeah. You said things rotated throughout some of the movies, so how many cats may a person see? I mean, we don't know the exact number of cats the Harmony House has, but will we see all the cats they have, some of the cats... Just a, it's a random splattering of cats depends on the night, kind of, or...? I think it depends on the night and probably the animals that are in, uh, in the shelter. Because I know that the animals in the shelter will have... Um, some of them will be 100% ready for adoption, and some of them in the shelter are just getting done with, you know, medical procedures mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So they aren't able to um, really bond with a huge group of... like, a huge audience. But um, for the most part, I think... I would say that there's going to be a good amount of cats. Enough for everyone to get a good vibe from the shelter. Yeah, especially if you're eating popcorn. I think one of your sources says that. <laughs> yeah. I, I stole a quote. Look at me go. Yeah. But, Mike... I brought you into the studio not because I like to see you sit in silence, but I have a question for the whole room here. Yeah. So this, the Harmony House is showing the Nine Lives of Cats, or Christmas. I've never heard of that movie. What's it? But before we go any further, does anyone know what that's about? Uh, no, I don't. And Pat and Marla haven't seen it, but they said that the first movie they showed was in September, and it was called A Street Cat Named Bob, which I'm assuming oh is a takeoff streetcar street named desire. desire so i don't know <laughs> i don't know if that movie was supposed to be a, a huge hit according to pat and marla so i'm excited to see what nine lives of christmas has in store so they're all kind of are they all kind of like puns i just googled it, it came out in 2014 uh, it's a veterinary student kimberly Seustin, oh that's so cute okay yeah and well. a stray cat <laughs> challenges a fireman's commitment to his life as a bachelor i'm sure nine lives of christmas is gonna entertain families well, and friends of you all did ages. like two interviews back to back and i was sitting next to you and all i heard you was talking about like cats oh and movies. yes i have a great story from pat 
I, can I say it? Yeah, yeah, you got time. Go ahead. Okay, so Pat Vesper is the board member and a longtime volunteer from for a Harmony House. And so I was asking her and Marla how they got involved with the shelter. And so she said that she found a cat that was uh, injured. I don't know what happened, like leg hurt or something. But she found this cat, and so she took it into Harmony House. And when she took it in, she didn't know that, you know, these procedures, they cost money. So, like, 150 bucks, 125 like, whatever it needs, the cat needs money right mm-hmm. and so the manager of the harmony house at the time took pity on pat and said like well we'll still take in this animal and like take care of it and so pat was like yay and that's kind of when she started volunteering but this is the best and cutest part of the entire story is that this cat ended up being adopted and the family named the cat after pat mm. pat the cat pat the cat, <laughs> pat the cat. it is a cat miss miracle Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're welcome, all you listeners. Where's that sound effects board when you need it? Yeah, yeah, yeah a round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but back to the point I was making a couple minutes ago. Mike, you are in the studio, and Molly, I have the same question for you. Nine lives of Christmas. I've never heard of it. So if you were to hold this event, and you had to have a Christmas-themed movie to show with cats around... What movie are you playing? Molly, I don't know if you are upset, <laughs> if you are happy, if you have 50 options, or if you have zero. Please, this is the most difficult question this on is, Earth. Is this gotcha journalism? Yeah, this is gotcha. You're a watchdog. <laughs> yeah. Get it, cats. Cats and watchdogs. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll go first, because I, I was able to, to formulate the question. I thought about it a bit beforehand. Uh, my first kind of vote would be cats and dogs because it's got cats in it. That's not Christmas. It, yeah, cares? I'm trying to think of Christmas movies yeah, here. Yeah, it be Christmas. Yeah, well, you got your journalism. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe cats and dogs because I couldn't really think of any other cat-related Christmas movies or any movie with a talking cat because I feel like when I watch a movie with a talking animal next to animals, I turn to them and I'm like, what's he saying? Like, can you do that too? <laughs> and I make them try and talk. Never works, though. I think I have a couple of options here. Okay, a couple of options. What do we got? Okay, so uh, my favorite Christmas movie is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And I think that's a great one because that's when the cat jumps into the tree. And they, yeah, that's when they wrap, like the grandmother wraps up the cat. Uh, That's a great movie. But the other one I was thinking is um, I'm going to throw it back to the middle school days and Santa Buddies, anyone? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the little golden retriever puppies. And I know that's kind of. Anti cat, but <laughs> dogs aren't anti cat. <laughs> They're I'm pro I'm pro dog pro cat, but I just think that that is a great pet Christmas movie, and it is, and it's great for all ages. Mike, I think it's your turn to answer the question now. Um, so. yeah, I think, I I'm I think there's elements of Christmas in this one, but I'm gonna have to say Stuart Little. I'm pretty sure. There's like a whole Christmas scene in there. You're gonna rile up all the cats with the mouse on the screen the whole time. I, well, I know, but the cats can also relate to the other cats in Stuart Little, who Snowball, the main cat, has oh. a change of heart about Stuart Little at the end of the film. Oh, so it's so even better. <laughs> it's a it's happy like, ending. It's like the spirit of Christmas, man. Or <laughs> <laughs> going. Yeah. Stuart okay. Little is the spirit of Christmas. That's hot take. Well, you heard it here first, I guess. <laughs> that's, that's what we're up to, but uh, I think it's time to pivot off from the cat conversation. I don't know if there's any other nominees last second to cat talks here, but 
think we have a was it a settler's day brought to you by mike rundle now mike you went out and i think i'm gonna end the podcast the most normal way i know how by talking about the civil war the revolutionary war world war one and settlers all at the same time yes because you did a photo feature this week where you went out to what town south holland South Holland, Illinois, is about um, you can get there via the uh, the Harvey Metro station. Uh, ah. So it's uh, I believe about forty to fifty miles south of here, um, give or take a few. But um, yeah, so this event in South Holland, uh, the forty sixth annual uh, South Holland Settlers Days, and uh, so every year. Um, since the 70s, they've been bringing out, like you said, everybody from Civil War reenactors, uh, Revolutionary War, uh, World War One, um, and then of course, it, not necessarily soldiers either. They have you know people that are there that are just uh, um, depicting your typical homestead life, things like that. And uh, you can go and talk to these people and kind of learn more about what it was like back then. Now, even I was a little confused by the story because I thought it was like a, a Civil War reenactment enactment but it's not that right it's it's what is it i mean i know you mentioned it's settlers day but mm -hmm. it's like a bunch of different people just kind of yeah yeah mixed together yeah everybody just kind of comes together and an, a big term is living history too so you can call it a living history event um in which all of these uh various representatives of periods of history kind of get together and um they just like to talk to talk about their time period that they're representing and um, to yeah, kind of teach kind of kids. Like a, you walk through it and they're like, right? Yeah, okay. they have at the at the on the grounds there. They had a few um, uh, log cabins, representative log cabins. Um, that inside there was people um, spinning spinning uh, wool into yarn. There were people kind of like cooking things in a in a cauldron per se. Mm -hmm. Um, over the fire. A whole cauldron? Well, yeah, it what was... exactly were they cooking? Like, how realistic and accurate was all of this? Was it like, hey, I'm Steve, and I was in the Civil War? And it's like, okay, next. Or was it like... They're they're pretty dedicated to most of it. A lot of them, uh, a lot of the people I talked to, they really had a whole backstory on their character, um, whether or not it was... The, the same name or they had another name um, for the person they're representing um, they typically had an entire backstory kind of um, formulated to say like uh, like for example um, one woman I talked to she said I'm a French settler uh, I came here I would have come through Montreal to get here um, I'm currently sitting here this is where I'm gonna make my cabin uh, referencing where we were and she said my my feet are a little uncomfortable so I'm gonna make myself a pair of moccasins and that's exactly what she did that day so they're pretty dedicated and they they like what they're doing and they they like to get their stories out that's and for sure all the way up to World War one and all the way as far back to the first people settling there yeah yeah I believe there were a few um, Native American things uh, I think uh, after that it was uh, a Revolutionary War um, was kind of like the big the big highlight of it, um, both on the American side and British side. Hmm. Okay, so what was the most interesting part of it, I guess? If you're walking through living history, what's the thing that's going to come out and grab us and make us want to look at your photo feature, which is in the center spread of the Chronicle, or you can find it at ColumbiaChronicle.com? Yeah, I think the most interesting thing to me is just like the... Uh, 
the unique perspectives and the unique backgrounds that all of these uh, reenactors have. Um, and something that goes into that is all the effort that they put into really making um, the reenactment experience authentic. And something that you can see in the photos is that all of these people are very, uh, they're, they're dressed up kind of to the nines per se with period garb um, and period weaponry um, things like that they they're eating foods that uh, were would have been made at the, the same way that they're in you know in the 19th century um, so it's just the the pure dedication of the people that do this and are committed to this and uh, really go all out from what they're wearing to what they're doing, to the stories they're telling, to, like I said, their backstories as well. So Okay, this will be the final question here. What was your favorite time period? Just to recap for people who may have missed it, we had Native Americans, French settlers, like the first people there, some Revolutionary War people, Civil War people, World War One was that the latest with World War One? Yeah, I believe so. So we're looking at 1920s-ish, mm -hmm. that era. The Civil War was in, what, the 1800s? Yeah, the late 1800s. The 1700s, late 1700s. Um, and then I don't know when the settlers would have gotten there. That that could have been just a whole hodgepodge there. Mm. But what, what's your pick? What's your favorite part? Um, you know, I think that day in particular, uh, there, there were a few people in the Revolutionary War section that were really interesting. Um, one guy for example, um, was sitting on the porch in one of these log cabins and had a whole table spread out of uh, tools that you might have seen a surgeon use during the Revolutionary War. It, you know, bone saws, things like that. You know, it was uh, it was pretty visceral. Um, you know, whether or not everything was like authentic, uh, I'm I'm not aware. But when you mean authentic, you mean like not inaccurate, but like this wasn't an original. But you're right, yeah. Like this wasn't a. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know the bone saw was unoriginal. Yeah, same. Um, but yeah, I think that was probably the most interesting part of that day for me. So. Well, Mike, uh, we're out of time, so we're going to have to end the podcast right here. But thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition of Available on Campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com, and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CEC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX-FM, Chicago's Underground. Under the leadership of the Chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride, I've been your host, Blaze Mesa. Until next time.